Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. All right, lots of opportunities to get involved, and I encourage you guys to do that. Let's get your Bibles out, if you will. I'm going to pray. We're going to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be finishing from verse 17 all the way through the end of the chapter, so we've got a lot of work to do today, but it's going to be good, and I believe it's going to be life-changing. So let's pray. Lord, we just invite your spirit to go into places that maybe we've left unattended. We invite your spirit to come and to rearrange the pieces of our heart, to soften our heart, to give us a a new heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just start off by reading the the first passage here that we want to tackle. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Well, that's good news, isn't it? (laughs) How many of you guys just got encouraged by reading that right there, right? Here's, let me just summarize what that said right there. And and this is the way I summarize this. Talks about a hard heart. I believe that a hard heart leads to a hard life. A hard heart leads to a hard life. Uh, there was this guy when I was just a teenager, I watched him. He was a, a youth pastor at the time, a national youth pastor, had a, a big, huge platform and, and uh, he had a national TV show. I mean, just respected by a lot of people and it just really stoked my desire for ministry in a lot of ways. And, and I really respected him and watched him, encouraged by him and just impressed by him and national ministry, uh, went on and, and eventually started a church about the same time we started this church. And just, I mean, within the next year or two, it just blew up. I mean, it just, they had hundreds of people, they were building million dollar buildings, just everything was just impressive. It was just an impressive thing to watch how God was using this person. And then I got an email and the email basically shared the news that he had blown it all. It had multiple affairs, not just an affair, but multiple affairs. It was worse than that. He had, I mean, you you name it, he had done it. Prostitutes, everything. Addiction, just everything messed up and just a crash and burn. Now, many of us have seen stuff like that happen before, whether it be somebody we know personally or somebody we see on a, a public platform of some sort. What happened? I'm sure at the very beginning, this guy, and I know that he loved Jesus. He's following Jesus. He's following hard after God, but something begins to happen day after day in this guy's life. A little callous upon another callous upon another callous of his heart. And eventually by the time this all was revealed, he had had a hard heart for many, many years. A little bit longer, a little bit harder. And it's sad because the hard heart led to a hard life. He lost everything. He lost his, his national platform. He last, lost uh, all of his money. He lost his marriage. He lost it all. Now, 
Fortunately, over the last several years, he's, re- he's got healed back up and he's working on all of his things and we're, you know, he's, he's doing good things for the Lord now. But it was sad that it took that turn in his life. One of his counselors asked him to go back over the last 25 years that he had been having this issue and to calculate up the financial ramifications of this problem. All of the lost hours at work, all of the lost wages, uh, all of the... Uh, the money spent on the addiction, the rehabilitation, the, I mean, just to add it all up. And so he did. He went back and he added it all up. And the sum, I don't know how he came up to this conclusion, but the sum of money that it cost him was staggering. It was $899,421 that it cost him over 25 years. That's a lot of money, isn't it? That's a, that's a lot of money. And it was a hard heart. The first month in his recovery facility alone cost $40,000 just to get him to survive it. A hard heart leads to a hard life. Now, I know that's not the news you came to hear this morning, right? Like, let's just hear bad things about people and how they ruin their lives. But I wanna address an issue this morning that I think we need to deal with on the inside of us because here's the thing. I think a lot of us assume that most people have a good heart. You know, most people have, I mean, as long as you're not Hitler or like a really bad criminal or somebody twisted or something like that, most people, I mean, most of us assume that most of us have a good heart. Now, here's the problem with that. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that we have a good heart. Here's what the Bible says about that in Luke chapter six, verse 45. It says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. In other words, good or bad can come out of the heart. Do you realize that this issue of the heart was the trigger for the flood that Noah had to build an ark for? It said in those days that, that, the, that every intent of the people's heart was only evil continually. L- listen to that. Every intent of the people's heart was only evil continually. How do you guys know that's pretty bad, right? That's, that's a lot. And so there was an issue of the heart. What is the heart? The heart is not something, it's not like where we get all of these, you know, romantic feelings and uh, sorry to burst your bubble. It's not where we get all of these, you know, where we just feel ooey gooey on the inside and I'm in love. It's, that's not what the heart is. Biblically, the heart is this. It is the center of physical and spiritual life. It is your will. It is your character. We could define it as the inner self, but really it is the whole self. It's really who you are. It's what makes up your personality. It's what makes up your character. And out of your heart of who you really are is what flows the issues of life. That's what you're really going to come out. That's eventually what's going to come out. And so every single person here this morning is in one of these categories. You're, you're here this morning and I've just talked about a hard heart and you're thinking, well, that's not me. I don't have a hard heart. And that's either true about you and you really don't, or you're saying that's not me and you really do have a hard heart and you just don't want to deal with it this morning. Or you might be in the last category, which is simply this, that you may be wondering, maybe that's where I'm heading And as you've looked at different circumstances and different attitudes in your life, that you've maybe there's some red flags going off. Maybe some conversations you've had recently with other people or your spouse or just the things going on internally are triggering some red flags. And maybe you're heading 
for another layer of callous, another layer of hard heart towards people, towards God, towards circumstances, towards church, towards your business, towards your work, towards your, your family. Maybe that's where you're heading right now. How, how do you know if that's you? Let me tell you how you can know if you have a hard heart. And it's found in that scripture we just looked at. So let's put it back up there. I'm going to look at it real quick. The, the scripture, it says, not, not the other one, but the Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Thank you, guys. Uh, it says, due to the hardness of heart, what is due to the hardness of heart? If you rewind, it tells us what is due to the hardness of heart. The first thing is darkened understanding. If you see this starting to show up in your life, what, what does darkened understanding mean? Well, Every thought, most thoughts and feelings are connected, right? If you have a thought, it's usually a feeling attached with it. It doesn't mean that feeling is right, but it means there's something you felt. Or every feeling that you have is triggered because of a thought. Now, when those things get messed up, it affects... That's what's hit in your heart that eventually comes out. When your thoughts and feelings, which is your thinking, your way of thinking, eventually comes out. And if you have a darkened understanding, what that simply means is that you're starting to look at life with a darkened filter over it. And instead of living by the truth, you end up living by your thoughts and your feelings towards people. Instead of living out the truth in the situation, you start living by your thoughts and your feelings. Listen, you will make a disaster out of your life if you let feelings rule over the truth. And when you, if you find yourself right now that every, when, when you come to church, there's a dark filter and you've put that over everybody that you may have, you may be on your way to a hard heart. If you go into your marriage and there's automatically a dark filter, if you go into your work, there's a dark filter. If you go into another situation, there's a dark filter or it begins to get darker and darker the longer you're in it. You are getting on your way to having a hard heart if it's not already there. That's one of the signs. All right, that's, that's in the scripture, okay? That's not Sean, that's scripture. And the next thing is this, it talks about due to the hardness of heart, it says that, that they had a darkened understanding and it talks about an alienation from God. In other words, if you start feeling yourself getting more and more distance from God, little by little, maybe a lot by a lot, and you sit here this morning and you're like, I don't know where I stand with God. I've been a believer for a long time, and all of a sudden I feel estranged from God. I know I shouldn't, but I do. Somewhere along the way, there could be a case of a hard heart. The third area is this, and it talks about craving sensuality. Craving sensuality, what, what does that mean? It, it's, sensuality is when we become unrestrained in moral attitudes and behaviors. It, it means when think, our life is just kind of out of control, we begin to crave. We're not only callous to God, but we're callous to sin. So what used to break our heart, now we no longer feel. No, we no longer feel broken over that. We no longer feel a repulsion to that. You see, you guys realize that sin is an issue of the heart, right? Sin is not an action. We think of sin as action. Sin is never an action that we do. The action is the fruit of the sin. You see, sin is an issue of the heart. Sin is when we have an inner yes to something, whether we commit the act or not. See, without the inner yes, there is no sin. Sin is when we have an inner yes on the inside, and whenever you get a calloused or a hard heart, that inner yes to sin becomes more and more automatic. Your life becomes more and more unrestrained in moral attitudes and behaviors. And so uh, a callous heart, you say, well, okay, how, how does that make sense? If you're callous and you have no feeling, why, 
why sensuality? Because sensuality is just feeling. If, why would it make sense if you have a hard heart that there's this sensuality happening? It's because of this. Every time we sin and we become, a call, we become callous to sin, it requires a stronger dose of sin to equal the same level of high. And so the more callous you get, the more sensuality you require to be able to feel the same effect that the sin produced originally. Is everybody following me? And so the more and more callous and hard hearts you get, the more and more sensuality it takes that you crave just to equal out. And so you may have seen somebody like this. It seems like their heart is harder and harder and harder, and they're on a downward spiral, because, and then they keep craving sensuality. Their life looks unrestrained. They just keep craving that. You see, a sensual life, it opens us up to a life without boundaries, where nothing is forbidden so long as we don't get caught. So let me ask you this question when, when we're talking about this, this particular signal. Are we more afraid, or, or, or let me put it this way, ask this question, what restrains you from sin? Is it the fear of God or is it the fear of being caught? You see, there's a good litmus test to see whether you have a hard heart and just craving sensuality or not. So if you find yourself somewhere in here, even just a little bit, how many of you guys would want to get rid of that hard heart just a little bit? Amen. I, I, I want to rip out every part that is hardened or callous and I want God to do a work on me. And so what should we do if we have a hard heart? What should we do? I've got three points for you today of what we should do. And the first one, we're going to roll through video. So let's roll. Ephesians chapter four. Verse 20 says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So what are we to do if we have a hard heart? We have to put off the old self. We have to put off the old self. You see, a hard heart is produced when we live in the lies of the old life. Now, this is my dog, Bo. Now, Bo is a very skinny dog already, but Bo became skinnier recently. Why? Because he, he ran outside again of our invisible fence. This is the dog that does that. Look at the shame in his eyes. He ran off again and he found a portal uh, months ago, but now and he just gets out all of the time. And so he runs and he runs and he runs and he runs. And it's out there, he runs in the risk, a risky place. I mean, there's traffic, there's all sorts of stuff. But the fact of the matter is he just keeps running. Because of that, he's burning tons of calories and he's gotten really skinny. On top of that, he stopped eating the food that we have for him. He just wouldn't eat the dog food. And so you combine those two things and an already skinny dog got even skinnier. And the same thing is true for us. When we run too far and too hard and too long out of the safety of God's new way of living for us, and we stop feeding on what is right, we'll eventually starve. We'll eventually die. We'll eventually get so skinny spiritually or, or just even emotionally and physically that we, we wonder why our heart gets hard. And so here's the truth. And this is the spiritual truth that we have to catch. It's very simple. And it's this. It's simply what we feed grows and what we starve dies. Now, that sounds like a negative, and of course it is for your dog, if that's your dog, and that's why we keep him inside now, and that's why we're feeding him lots of food now, all different kinds of food to try to get him fattened up again. And so, but if you flip that, it sounds like a negative, but you can flip it into a positive. Listen, there, if we can starve the lies of the old life in our life, they too 
will die. If you can starve away the old life, don't give it any fuel. That's exactly what we need to do. All right, put off the old self. That's point number one. If we, have, if we want to have a hard heart turn into a soft heart, we've got to stop living the lies of our old life. Starve the lies that don't line up with what God thinks about us and how we should live. Amen? Here's the problem, though, with a lie. If you are believing a lie, you don't know it. If you're believing a lie, you just don't know you are. Uh, and so it's hard sometimes to deal with those things. We have to ask the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to come and show us those areas of our heart. And I hope that you do that before you get out of this, this place today, that you would ask the Holy Spirit to show us those lies where you've been living in the darkened understanding and alienated from God and craving sensuality so that those things can be removed so that you can be set free. Now, I'm going to do a little illustration. I saw this on the Internet, so uh, it's good, right? Uh, but I'm going to put up a picture of two circles. Two circles. Now, you guys see these two circles here? All right. Believe it or not, one of these circles is bigger than the other. Okay, look real close. One of these circles is bigger than the other. How many of you guys think the one on this side is the biggest one after studying? Okay, let me see a show of hands. All right, choose carefully. All right, how many of you guys think the one on this side is the bigger circle? All right, you guys, let me give you just a little bit more. Soak it in. You guys got it? Okay, again, the one on this side, how many of you guys think this side's the bigger circle? All right, how many of you guys think this side is the bigger circle? All right, here's, here's the truth. I'm going to, going to reveal which one's bigger. The, the fact of the matter is they're both the same size. And I just demonstrated how easy it is to get you to believe a lie. Why? You, you took it from somebody, you took it from a reputable source. You know, I kind of led you into it. I want to show you that may have just been, you know, like I feel like the rug just got pulled out. That's exactly what Satan does to us. It's so easy for us to believe a lie. I'm telling you, it's that easy. And as soon as we look at it just long enough and we start to lean into something we believe is credible, all of a sudden, before long, we're all in. We cannot feed the lies of the enemy. We have to reject that and uproot it and starve the lies. Here's what a lie is, by the way. A lie simply comes disguised as a solution to a problem. Well, if I could just keep myself away from that person, from that situation, or if I could just not, whatever it is for you, you can, you can start to recognize a lie really quick by the solutions it's been offering you that are counter to the ways of God. Whenever you, whenever you look at your life and you say, man, that just doesn't really look like the Bible, and you start to trace that back, you can find somewhere there was a lie disguised as a solution for you starve that with everything. What are some of the lies that we're supposed to starve? Well, some of them are found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 through 32. It's a long list here. I'm going to read it clear to the end, and then we'll deal with it. It says, be angry and do not sin. There's one of those. Uh, if you find this happening in your life, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let, let, rather let him labor. So you see this kind of do this, don't do that sort of thing, or don't do this, do this. Do honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. Let no corrupting talk. There's a lie that seems like it's a solution to your problem. If I could just talk this way or talk about different people or different situations. It says, let none of that come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion. See, there's the truth, that it may give grace to those who hear. Why? Because 
grace is always better than anything else anyway. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, here goes a, a string of things. Bitterness, that's a lie, disguised as a solution to your problem. Well, if I could just be angry on the inside, if I could just pay them back on the inside, if I could just hang on to this and deal with it, it becomes a solution to a problem. It's never going to be the solution, by the way. Let wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So there's this list of the lies. Anger, it's a lie. It, it talks about being greedy for what someone else has. That's, that's a lie that tries to present itself as a solution to your problem. Corrupt talk, bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander is one of those. By the way, uh, a side note, malicious gossips or slander in other parts of scripture is the Greek word diabolos, translated devil. So in other words, slander means devil. Whenever you are slandering other people, you are doing the devil's work. And it's disguised as a solution to your problem. Well, this would just help these other people understand how bad those other people are. Then it would really help, and it's disguised as a solution. Starve that. Malice. See, this is a short list of ingredients that make a hard heart. But I promise you, if you employ these in your life long enough, your heart will get hard. You get bitterness in, bitterness in your life long enough, you're, you're, gonna have, you're on your way to a hard heart real quick. Malice, slander, corrupt talk, anger, all of these things are all tied together. Some of you guys just are instantly recognized. The Holy Spirit's just revealing these things to you right now in real time. That's a wonderful thing. That's the mercy of God right now in your life, revealing that. Don't see that as condemnation. See that as conviction of the Holy Spirit that's going to move you into a higher place of grace empowerment to live what God has for you. All right. So anytime these show up as a temptation or a solution, starve it. Don't fuel it. Put off the old man, starve the lies. What is, what uh, is, or we to do for the second thing? It's this, it's on video as well. So let's roll the video. All right. Ephesians chapter four and verse 23, it says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What do we do if we have a hard heart? We put off the old self, but the scripture here tells us to also put on the new self, to put on the new self. So what does that mean to put on the new self? Well, what it really means to me is to feed the truth more often than you think, to feed the truth more often than you think. You know that in the, uh, the Sunday edition of the New York Times, they say there's more information in that edition than someone in the Middle Ages would have consumed in their whole lifetime. So it's not that we need more information. It's simply that we need the right information. We need to feed on the truth. You, you've heard of the, the Fugitive, that movie with Harrison Ford and how this guy is wrongfully accused of a crime that he didn't commit. Do you know that, I mean, we know that those stories are actually real, that they really happen. In, in 1984, there was this guy named Daryl Hunt, and at 19 years of age, he was accused of a rape and a murder that he didn't commit. There was no evidence pointing towards him. There was no evidence that he was even there at the crime, and yet he still got 
got convicted and sent to life in prison. Well, in 1994, DNA evidence finally proved that he wasn't the one that committed the rape. And even though the rape was what actually tied him to the murder, he still didn't get off for the murder. It took another nine or 10 years of appeals and going through lawyers to finally get set free. And so after about 19 or 20 years, he finally gets set free from a crime he didn't even commit. Now, we hear a story like that, and that kind of makes us upset. I mean, like, there was an injustice done. He was wrongfully accused. And we know that an accusation doesn't even have to be true for it to affect you as if it were. Let me say that again. An accusation doesn't have to be true for it to affect you as if it were. Now, here's what we have to understand. Whenever you've been forgiven by Jesus, from that point on, you have been wrongfully accused. And every time Satan tries to come and accuse you of a sin or try to put you back in the old way of thinking, you have been wrongfully accused. And there ought to be something in you that rises up and gets upset at Satan about that and pushes back on that and says, no more. I am going to feed on the truth. There's a story in Zechariah chapter three, and it's painting a picture about Joshua, the high priest standing up in heaven. And here's what it says. It says in verse one, it says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the the angel of the Lord and, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So there's Satan accusing him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a, bl- a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. So the assumption here is that he's guilty. Listen, you and I have committed sin. Before we knew Jesus, we had committed sin. We were guilty. We were wearing what it says here. It says he was clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing them, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, behold, I've taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. This is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. When he took off the old life, he took off our our old garments, the filthy garments. He rebuked them and he took care of sin once and for all. So listen, if you have confessed your sin, if you've surrendered your heart to Jesus, here's the good news we've got to get. We have to feed on this truth that from this point forward, whenever Satan tries to accuse us, when Satan tries to condemn us, we are wrongfully accused and we have to feed on that revelation that keeps us from having a hard heart. That's the good news. Jesus traded in. He let us wear his innocence and he wore our guilt. And that is the good news. And we have to feed on news like that, on the truth of God's word, more often than we even think we should. It's not that we never sin anymore. I mean, because we're still going to do that. I mean, it's just simply that we have now been given the righteousness of God in Christ. We are a new creation. It's that, that Satan, when he tries to condemn us and bring shame, if we wallow in that, Guess what it's going to produce in you? A hard heart. I can never be good enough for God. No, you can't. (laughs) He gave you his righteousness. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. And the grace of God given to our life just ought to make us lean in closer to him. But we have to feed on that truth more often than we think we should not feed on the shame or the lies of the enemy. It's, here's the thing. It's not like we put on a better version of our old life. We have been made a new creation. Have you guys have been made a new creation? 
a new creation. So uh, how many basketball fans do we have in here? Any basketball fans? I've been a Lakers fan all my life. I apologize for, oh, we got some, yeah, praise the Lord. Got the whole, filled with the Holy Spirit out there. It's awesome, okay. I've been, I've been a Lakers fan because my dad was a Lakers fan. I grew up as a Lakers fan. So I grew up watching, you know, in the 2000s and Kobe Bryant. And I got a picture of Kobe dunking right here. Here's Kobe dunking. And, uh, you know, uh, sadly, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty close to being able to do something like this. I've been working on it. Um, no, no matter how much I try, no matter how much I practice, no matter how many hours I put in at the gym, I'm not going to, to be able to play like Kobe Bryant, no matter how much I try. No, I mean, Sean Phillips is just not going to be able to do and to put up the numbers he's put up and to be able to do what he, he, he's done. But I thought, thought about this. What if I could become Kobe Bryant? What if I could become Kobe Bryant? This is how I see myself now when I play basketball. This is how I see myself. You see, if I became Kobe Bryant, how you guys know my Sunday afternoon basketball times would be a whole lot different, wouldn't they? I mean, if I actually became him, it would be a whole different story. I wouldn't have to be stuck in the limitations of Sean Phillips. Is anybody following this this morning? This very simple idea. I'm not just trying, you're not just trying to be a better version of yourself. You have become a brand new person. That means the sin that tripped you up before no longer has the same limitation on your life. When you become a new creation in Christ, all of a sudden you have a different kind of ability because of the grace of God on your life. Because grace empowers you to do what you cannot do on your own. Isn't that good news right there? We have to feed on the news of that more often than we think. Okay, I'm glad they put it down. Okay. More often than we think. Point number three. And this is really where I'm really heading this morning. If you find yourself with a hard heart, this is what it's going to take to get back. Put yourself in a position to let God capture your attention. Put yourself in a position to let God capture attention. This may be done through spiritual disciplines like fasting or prayer or silence or solitude or worship or Whatever that is, whatever is putting you in a position, meditating on the word, put yourself in a position to let God capture your attention again. Don't try to, listen to this, this is very key in all of this. Don't try to capture God's attention. Too many of us are trying to fast to capture God's attention, trying to to read the Bible to capture God's attention, trying to go to church to capture God's attention, trying to go to group to capture God's attention, trying to worship to capture God's attention. Don't try to capture God's attention. Put yourself in a position to let God capture your attention. Uh, Carolyn Aaron said this, I suspect I have sometimes used spiritual disciplines as smoke signals to get God's attention. Now I'm learning that there are ways of letting him capture mine. You know, the, the Desert Fathers, which I'm not too familiar with them, but in uh, one of the guys, uh, St. Anthony, who was born in, in uh, 211, okay? So these guys are, you know, early church fathers. They, uh, they're called Desert Fathers because this one guy, he just got 
convicted of scripture that he just didn't let God enough in his life. He, he did something extreme. I don't recommend this. I'm sure God was in it for him, but he, uh, he left everything. He went to the outskirts of town. He worked uh, just a manual labor type job for a, a season in his life just to be by himself. And then God called him even further. He went out into the desert and he went alone by himself in the desert not for a week or two on a vacation, not for, uh, you know, just a, a quick thing or a, a 21 day fat. No, he went and he stayed out in the desert for 20 years. He came back a completely different person. Why? Because he came under this desire that he says, I don't want to have a hard heart. I want God. I'm going to do whatever it takes to let God capture my attention. He went out for 20 years. Listen, I'm going to be real tough on us for just a second. Some of us can't even get away for 20 minutes. We can't get away from 20, 20 minutes to let God capture our attention. He said, I don't have 20 minutes, Sean. We'll get up earlier. So, well, you know, Sean, I, my sleep's important. I've, I've got, I, listen, I got kids. I know. <laughs> I, I mean, we all have, you, 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 if I don't have sleep, then I will, you know, and we could go down the list. Get up earlier, put the kids to bed earlier, hire a babysitter so you can have time with God, whatever it takes. Put down your Facebook. Okay, we know you're on Facebook, so you got 20 Hours right there in a day that you could set aside for the Lord. You say, if I, don't, if I don't get enough sleep, then it's just all going downhill. Well, listen, would you rather get more sleep with a hard heart or less sleep with the right heart? And I can tell you this, trust me, your sleep will be sweeter when your heart is right with God. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's that. I, I don't know what it is. You know, there's a difference, I've talked about this before, there's a difference between solitude and isolation. You see, solitude, we think of solitude as meaning getting away from everybody. No, that's isolation. Isolation is when your heart is getting so hard that you don't want to be around anyone, and so you find ways to get away from everyone. Isolation is not a healthy thing. You know what's healthy? Solitude is healthy. But let me tell you, solitude is not getting alone. Solitude is getting alone with God. Isolation is what happens when you neglect solitude. You need isolation when you neglect those solitude times with God and letting God capture your attention. It's what you crave when you neglect solitude. So here's what I've been doing lately. I've just been going out into the woods, even just for like 20 minutes. And I'll, you want to slow down time, take no technology, just sit by yourself with no one else and just you and God and let God begin to transform you for 20 minutes or an hour just sitting there. Time slows down. 20 minutes feels like two hours. You just like are multiplying time if you don't think you have it. So I've been going out there and God's been just, you see, solitude is a place of transformation. It's not a place of isolation. It's a place of transformation. It's where you get alone with God and it's where you allow your heart just to be ripped open, bear before God and say, God, I don't know whether I have a good heart, a bad heart, a hard heart, but here's what I want. I want to have your heart. And you let God begin to stir on the inside of you. And so that's what I've been doing. I've been allowing God to be captivated. God's been convicting me personally about speaking less. I mean, not just talking. I talk all the time, okay? <laughs> that's just this, what I do, but even preaching less. Here's why. Because uh, whenever we are constantly giving out, whenever we're constantly pouring out, listen, this can be in any area of your life, doesn't just have to be your talk. Whenever you're constantly pouring out and we're never 
able to steward the inner fire of God on the inside of us, eventually we have a hard heart. And so I've been reading different books about this and and talking about how important it is for us to steward the inner fire. And the inner fire of God on the inside of us is that work of God that he wants to do on the inside of us. And here's the problem. When we give out, when we run too hard, when we've got too many activities in our life, when we're constantly pouring out and giving it away, it's like the illustration is like a steam bath. How many of you guys have ever been to like a steam shower or a steam bath or something where it just fills up completely with, with like vapor, right? I mean, just the whole room fills up with vapor. As soon as you open up the door, all the vapor escapes out. See, I love those things. I can just sit in there and just melt away for hours upon hours. How many of you guys are like sauna, steam bath type people and you love just, just melting away? Okay. How many of you guys, that's your worst nightmare right there. It's like sitting in hell. That's it right there. It's my wife. We go to like a, a spa or something like that. Not like we go to a spa all the time, but uh, we, we go to sit in the sauna. I go sit in the sauna and I'm like, uh, this is great, man. I can just stay here until I pass out until Jesus comes or I wake up in, you know, hallucination or vision. I get translated to seeing bacon come down from the sky like Peter did. I don't know. It's just, I'm waiting for it, but I love that. But the, the picture, I don't know how I'm getting off on that bacon <laughs> spa. What do I need here? But there's a picture there of what happens on the inside. And it's like, if we constantly have the door open all the time where things are just falling out in our life, then there's no room for God to just stoke that inner fire on the inside of us. See, that's how God continues to get your attention. Some of us are giving so much that God's work in us is escaping faster than we can replenish. And you're on, the wrong, you're on a road to a hard heart. Listen, personally, as a church, I guess, we've had a productive year, very productive year. It's our best year yet as a church. It's our best year yet as a church. More people than ever are serving in our church. Best year ever. Best year ever. More people than ever are involved. More outreach, more people involved in outreaches than we've ever had in any year of our history. More people are involved in outreaches. Attendance is shot through the roof. That's why we're packed out. Most of the time, we baptize tons of people. This year, we saw transformations in marriages. We saw breakthroughs in people's finances. People called to new areas of ministry. We've given over $70,000 to missions this year. Best year ever. Our giving is up over 50% over last year. Best year ever. Best year ever. Can we just celebrate that just for a second? Can we just celebrate that? Amen. But I got to the end of the year and I thought, I don't know if I can run at this pace forever. I don't know if I can keep doing that forever. Could I do another five years at that? Maybe. Maybe I could do that for five years. Then, then maybe I'd be that guy that I talked about at the beginning of the message. And somehow one, one step at a time, layer after layer, little by little, because the steam door of the inner fire has been open. I, I don't know if I can run at that pace, you know? I, I don't know if I could do that. That's why God's been convicting me about speaking less and keeping more of that work that he's doing inside so that it can be genuine and real. That's a very painful process to go through when you ask questions like that. And I have to ask the question, you know, what would my my life look like to have the right heart for the rest of my life? Not just for this year, not just for right now. What would my life have to look like for me to have the right heart for the rest of my life? And here's the word of the Lord for some of you guys. The place that God is taking you 
will not violate the pace that God asks of you. Let me say that again. Maybe that didn't even make sense as a sentence. It makes sense to me. The place that God is taking you is not going to violate the pace that God is asking from you. And so many of us are running at a pace that God has never asked of us to try to get to a place that God has shown us. And because of that, we, are, we may last five years, but what's it going to take to last this way for the rest of your life? Now, there are consequences for those decisions, aren't there? For us as a church, this could be a consequence. If I, if I, if I can't keep going at that same pace personally, per se, maybe our church never gets to 10,000 people. Maybe it does, maybe not. I just simply leave that to God. But do you see how easy it is for us to put that burden upon ourselves? That may be a consequence of that. But maybe that's a choice I have to make to be right with God, to have a right heart. Philip Yancey says this quote about pastors. He said this, he said, I wonder how much more effective our churches would be if we made the pastor's spiritual health, not the pastor's efficiency, our number one priority. And I ask you a question this morning. Would you rather, what would you rather have? A super productive pastor or a super healthy, spiritually pastor? Which would you rather have? Now let's take it and make it hit home. What do you think your kids would rather have? A super productive mom or a spiritually healthy mom? What do you think your kids would rather have, a super productive dad or a spiritually healthy dad? What do you think your spouse would rather have, a super productive, efficient spouse or a spiritually healthy spouse? This is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? What do you, th- let, me, let me just take it even further. What do you think God would rather have of you? A super productive person or a spiritually healthy person? We all know the answer to that, don't we? It's not even a question. The danger is when we walk out of this place, will we forget it for the sake of our lust for whatever the carrot is in front of us right now? or for whatever people's approval is, or the expectations, or whatever it is. What are we sacrificing to be productive? What is it that we're sacrificing? And I can tell you this, what we're sacrificing many times is we're trading in productivity for a hard heart, because that's where it hits. See, my task as a pastor, and I, listen, I'm, I'm living this sermon, okay? I'm just telling you, I'm living this sermon, but my job as a pastor is not to create activities for you, it's really to create, help you understand how much space you need to create so that God can have activity in you. And that's, that's what I'm trying to do this morning. And the, here's the consequences for you. What if you don't have everything that everyone else does? That may be your consequence. What, if you'd, what is it going to work for you to have a right marriage for the rest of your life, a right relationship with your kids for the rest of your life, a right relationship with God. What kind of pace, what kind of decisions, what kind of activity put yourself in a position for God to capture your attention again? Don't have a hard heart. I don't want to have a hard heart. I want to steward the fire of God on the inside of me. I want God to grab my attention again. Is anybody with me this morning?
We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.